Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Teddy Roosevelt, who, in my opinion, is the greatest president this country has ever seen, and we could use a Teddy Roosevelt greatly in these days. Uh, welcome to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I am your host, Dale Luganville. Today's episode is going to be about me. Got a solo episode. I've uh, been very busy. Um, lots of stuff to talk about. So let's get into it. This is the Full Scale Outdoors podcast with me. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Ooh, I love that sound. This is a good one. Alright everybody, I opened the show with that great Teddy Roosevelt quote, there's a million of them, but I just, I really, really, really love that quote. Uh, I might read it again, <laughs> maybe I'll finish the podcast with it again, but uh, got a lot of stuff to cover, it's been a couple weeks, sorry I missed last week, and I was in danger of missing this week, um, but uh, 
the deer hunting crunch was was upon me. I've been spending most of my spare time in the stand uh, trying to get that done. And I am very happy to say not only did I punch a tag today, this morning, uh, it's Friday, uh, Friday before the uh, firearms gun opener here in Minnesota, but I broke the bone curse. Woo! That's right, ladies and gentlemen. I shot my very first hard-boned, antlered buck deer. <laughs> and all those other adjectives. Uh, he's not a giant by any stretch of the imaginations, and I'm not I'm not uh, being apologist for that. Uh, you know, he's a it's it's kind of what I wanted, really. He's an eight point buck. There's nothing overly outstanding about him, um, but it wasn't a spike or a fork or you know it was uh you know there he is modest deer he's gonna eat well he actually already did eat well as i had the celebratory tenderloins and they were fantastic simple butter in a pan salt pepper garlic powder cooked to 130 degrees off the heat let it rest boom delicious oh my god it was so good heaven on a plate i'm telling you so very thankful for that. Um, that's where my time has been. So now the pressure's off because on my little humble property here, my little seven acres, this property gets really crappy after the gun season because uh, I don't. Well, a there's probably less deer around. They're pressured, um, but I think a lot of it has to do with my land doesn't really hold deer. There's usually every summer there's a doe that that'll raise a, a fawn or two. And that this is kind of her home range. And so obviously if she gets shot, then, you know, that's done and away with. But there's really no bucks generally that hang out here. They travel through here mostly at night. But pre-rut and rut, now I start seeing them in daytime. And that gives me an opportunity. That's what happened today. I saw a buck earlier, uh, four corn in the morning. And then a little, you know, hour or so later, this guy comes out and the rest is history. So... Um, the pressure was really on for me to, to punch a tag and to have an um, antlerless bonus permit tag to use. So I was going to take whatever kind of came came through. Um, so once that rut's over, they just they really kind of just stop using my property. So got her done. Day before the season. The uh, pressure is off. So I get some spare time this week. I'll still sit. Hopefully uh, fill that doe tag. I think I can get another one, actually. If I do happen to punch that one, then I can go buy one more bonus tag and keep hunting. So, But we were supposed to do, a couple weeks ago we were out in North Dakota, and we were supposed to do a hunting crew podcast while we are out there. But, man, when you're hunting, I don't want me to sound like I'm making an excuse, but when you spend all day and it's cold and it's windy, uh, you get back to that room and you're beat. You know, a couple beers, dunzo. Full stomach of food, man. We just just had no, just had no time or energy. It probably would have been a terrible podcast, anyways, with all the yawning going on. But uh, I'll give you a quick rundown. And I like how when people are like, "Oh, you're going to North Dakota um, goose hunting. Where do you go?" Uh, I don't know where the birds are. Like we don't, we never. And that, that goes for local hunting. And people ask, "Oh, where do you hunt?" I don't know. Like where birds are, we gotta scout. I mean, that's the thing. So we head out to North Dakota. We gather as much intel as we can from other people that are out there and and whatnot. So, kind of gives us a starting point 
at least. And uh, so that's what we do. And we had, the North Dakota is like crazy wet. Most of the crops are still standing because the farmers can't get in to harvest the crops. Um, so that, you know, that makes it difficult just finding a spot. You're almost stuck hunting water, you know, for, for ducks, which is fine. You know, we brought everything, brought kayak, we had our waders, we had duck floaters, as well as the whole field spread, white spread, hawkers, all that stuff. Um, just, we just tried to be prepared for whatever might come up. So anyways, we head out there. We, thought we, we had heard that the further west you go, it gets a little drier. So we're like, well, we're going to have to drive that far, but, you know, let's just go. Let's see what we have see what we find yeah we get out there and sure enough you know jamestown area james rivers out of its banks there's standing water everywhere still some snow left over from the big storm they had uh, a week or so before that and uh, we're not really seeing a ton of birds you know so we just keep on driving there was three of us uh three separate vehicles i should say and there were seven of us total and um, so we kind of tried to spread out although as it would happen, we still ended up like scouting the same area a couple times. It's just highly irritating because my literal brain hates it because it seems like just a waste of gas and time and mileage and all that shit. But um, it worked out. So we found we found the first like snow goose field we saw um, wasn't great, but it looked great because it's the best thing we had seen that day. And uh, I'm trying to think of how many. It probably had somewhere between six to 800 birds in it. And there were swans. So two of us, Austin and myself, had swan tags. So that's always in the back of our mind. Like, are there swans? Because I've never shot a swan. Austin got his last year. I did not get mine, so I still wanted to get one. Um, so this one had a lot of swans in it. So we, you know, put a pin on it uh, and just kept, kept looking, kept looking. And we find some other spots now each person is kind of finding something and we're in contact like well, what do you got what do you got and uh we find this spot uh joel finds a spot and it's it looks great big fields not posted it's harvested uh, a lot of wheat out there uh when you go west and because the corn is still standing and a lot of the beans or most i would say 98 percent of the beans are still in so um, wheat fields were where it was at, but here's a spot, tons and tons of snow geese in it, lots of darks, and we really start getting excited because we can hear specks. And we had heard that the specks were out there. And normally, for people that have hunted in North Dakota, the specks, they don't, they blast like straight through. I know, maybe, I don't know if you've heard this, but there's a story out there. A guy posted that this uh, radio collared, GPS tracked uh, spec or greater white fronted goose left its breeding grounds and in 30 hours was in its wintering area. Reached speeds of 93 miles an hour. Like the, the biggest uh, flight, I don't remember the exact mileage, but it left somewhere in, I think, uh, Saskatchewan and landed in Arkansas, I think, Kansas or Arkansas somewhere in there for four hours, only four hours, and then continued on to Louisiana. So it's just like they usually blow right through. You know, somebody will pick one up here or there. You may you might hear a spec once in a while because last year we heard like a spec, and we got, oh, we got excited. We had a little bet if we were going to shoot one or not, and we didn't. 
So I won because it's just, you know, we've been hunting out there for years and specs are, they're just rare. So everybody wants one. So anyways, we're at this field and there are specs everywhere, everywhere. And I had been seeing some people getting some good shoots. So I was pretty hopeful that we might actually shoot some specs this year. Uh, so we all converge in the spot. We meet there. You know, we set up the table, start cooking some brats, some hamburgers and hot dogs and whatever else, settle in, trying to come up with a plan. And then uh, along comes this tractor. And so we go, we're kind of blocking this little minimum maintenance road. So we're starting to move stuff off the way. And one of the guys goes and, and talks to him and proceeds to get his ass chewed out. He's like, well, who do you have permission from to hunt these fields we're like uh nobody they're not posted so if you're not familiar the way the uh, trespass laws work in north dakota is if if it's if the crops are harvested and it's unposted it's basically public land you can just go you, you can you can hunt it and uh most farmers I know of that I've talked to out there, they kind of like it because if they don't mind people hunting their land, they don't have to go through the hassle of dealing with people knocking on their door all the time and asking for permission. You know, they're like, if they don't care, they're like, they just don't post it. And then people either hunt it or they don't. And it's just out of their hair. Some farmers like to know who's out there, so they'll still post it. And then when you go and you know, if it's still a great field, and we'll do this on a lot of, I mean, if it's a great field, we'll find out who owns the land or try to find out who owns the land and we'll, you know, try to get permission. Um, and they just want to know who's out there. And the other thing that it makes sense, and here's a tip for you if you ever go out there, don't be dissuaded by a posted sign because most of the farmers out there post for pheasants and deer. They don't give two shits about waterfowl. Half the time when you ask to shoot geese out there, they're like, really? What do you do with those things? You're like, eat them. Like, oh, gross. So they don't, I mean, they just, they, most farmers don't like geese. So they don't, they, they even think it's weird that people drive all the way out there and hunt those things. So for the vast majority of my experiences out there, um, they seem to like the, the way their no trespass laws are. This guy, not so much. Uh, this was his like pet peeve for sure. And we found out later that, and then, you know, we're not going to sit there and argue with the guy, you know, he didn't want us to be there. So we're like, well, pack up. We're going to have to scout something out, I guess. Um, so, you know, we left, packed everything up. We started driving. We get a, um, a couple miles from there. We find another feed field that looks pretty good. Also, um, not posted. So we're like, all right. And it's a different name on it. So we're like, all right, let's, we're going to hunt here. So that's what we do. And we set up there and we hunt there and we have a pretty good shoot. I mean, it's, I don't remember the numbers in that first day, um, but we shot our first cacklers ever, or not our cacklers, sorry, specs. And everybody was extremely happy. Uh, we shot some, um, some cacklers and I think we shot a handful of snows that day. Uh, I don't remember what we had total. God, I should have wrote that down. But it was it was pretty good. It was a good day. I think it was you know thirty something birds total for seven guys. It was it was a pretty good day. There was a little like flooded spot down. A couple guys went down there and they shot some ducks out of it. Um, so that was pretty cool. 
so as we're uh, back again, we go back to the trucks and we're, you know, having lunch and we're talking about the hunt and what should we do tomorrow and see any reason to leave this area. This field looks good to me. Let's, you know, there's the roost is holding a ton of birds. And so as we're sitting there just hanging out, guess who shows up again? This time in an old blue pickup truck. Same dude as yesterday. And proceeds to chew us out again. He's like, who do you have permission for? And we're like, it's not posted. And thankfully, it was a different person talking to him. So I don't think he recognized any of us. <laughs> it's kind of hilarious because he goes on this diatribe about, um, he called us socialists, I think, <laughs> at one point in time. He's like, I just think that everything belongs to you. He's like, just because it's not posted doesn't mean you can hunt it. Well, in this state, it kind of actually does. You know, I mean, we didn't say that to him. I tried to be polite, you know, the whole time. And uh, he just kind of had an attitude. Um, he kind of softened up a little bit as as we talked to him, but ultimately he still wanted us to leave. And, again, so we pack up and leave. But, you know, I finally – so we didn't remember to catch his name the first day. We just assumed that that was actually his property. So I had the presence of mind this time to go um, – yeah, sorry about everything. You know, what was your name? And he told us his last name, and I'm not going to say it. And um, we're like, all right. As we look at Onyx, none of these fields are owned by him. None of them. I mean, he owns he owns a bunch of land around there, but they weren't – he didn't own these. You know, it's like this is just his pet peeve. And, you know, he gives this big, long speech about, um, you know, I don't have time to run around and post these things and um, – is it too much, you know, to ask common courtesy to go ask? And, you know, and we're like, sorry, you know, we've been hunting out here for, you know, a decade and this has never been a problem. And if it's posted, we will ask permission. Like we're not here to piss anybody off. We always go the extra mile, make sure we pick up all our spent shells and leave, you know, do our best not leave ruts. Cause that was the other thing. Oh, you guys leave all these ruts on our roads and, and we, and we're left here to deal with it. Well, we weren't leaving any ruts. Um, even though he came barreling down the road in his pickup truck. So if anybody's leaving ruts, it's him. I mean, it's just, it's bottom line. It's just, it's this guy's um, pet peeve. He doesn't think he should have to post it. So he's not going to post it and damn the laws, whatever they may be. It's like, all right. I mean, some people just, some people are just crabby and that's just all there is to it. So we packed up again. We could have, you know, we could have dug our heels in the ground and be like, "Well, you're not the landowner, and until the landowner or the cops kick us out, we're not going anywhere." But we're not going to do that. I mean, it's just not, it's just not worth it. The, it's a big state. We'll find birds somewhere else. Let's just keep going. So we had to load everything back up again and um, go back to scouting. And um, fortunately, we found a, a, another field. Um, I don't know five within 10 miles of that spot and uh, it was pretty good at a um, big roost or a loaf uh, just down the hill from it lots of ducks lots of dark geese and uh, a bunch of snows so we set up there excuse me um and uh proceeded to have like the best hunt any of us had ever thought we would have and we were running a pretty big white spread and then we got some darks uh, in there and we're using uh, a bunch of silhouette decoys and some silhouette socks and tons of uh, or some sock decoys I should say tons of silhouette sock 
snow goose decoys. And we're laying in whites on backboards, hiding in the whites, so no brushed in blinds. And it's just steady action all morning long. Just steady action. And we ended up with our limit of cacklers, our limit of specs. We shot 13 snows. And both Austin and I punched our swan tags. <laughs> I'm out there. I don't I think we were picking up birds or Justin decoys or something. It was out of, you know, our blinds. And all I hear is swans. <laughs> and I look and I hear Austin shoot. I see it crumple. I'm like, no. I'm a ways away. I take off running. And I'm like, I think I can, I think I can get under this bird as it's trying to, you know, fly out. Well, it turns around and actually starts flying back at me, and I just hit the deck and wait till it gets close. And they are tough birds, man. Holy smokes, are they tough. First shot, hit it, doesn't just keeps flying. Second shot, hit it, keeps flying. I'm like, and it's still flying at me. So at this point, I'm like, I'm waiting. And I just wait till it's like right on top of me and put the bead right on his beak and let her have it. And that crumpled up. And, uh, and the rest is history. And so, yeah. No ducks, though. That was kind of the weird thing. There's lots of ducks down in the water, but they were not flying over the field. You would have thought they would just get up in the morning and fly around and see all these decoys and come check it out and come to the calls, but nope, nothing. You had to actually go down to the water to get some shots at ducks, which is crazy. But, um, God, man, what a hunt. What a hunt. And then uh, so we stay in that area that day, that field, actually. And we hunt again that Sunday, the morning, and uh, just not as good. I mean, there just wasn't as many birds around. Um, I think it was really cold that night. I think I think there was a small shift in the population because uh, as we kind of left, there was more geese to the south, uh, but not far, you know, like 10 miles, 10, 20 miles or so. So they just made a small shift, and, you know, it's that debate, like do you hunt the same field, you know, hunt in the same field? doesn't work out but, but you know when you got that many birds around it should work and it did we i mean we didn't limit out on sunday but we still caught or caught pfft, shot plenty of them so we had lots thankfully we had a bird hitch for the day before and we bird hitched all those and then the um the previous day we bird hitched those two and then so the third day we just uh kept them whole and uh cleaned them when we got home so out there in case those you may not know, there's a, a three-day possession limit. So we were all well within. We had the wings attached, uh, so we're all good there. And, yeah, I think it was just uh, was it yesterday. So I ground most of mine. I, You know, we, we rest them out. and um, it, The bigger birds, I kept the legs and the thighs, but the smaller ones, it's just, it's just not enough meat there to, to make it worth it. And uh, just ground everything up and mixed it with uh, like a third burger really fatty burger and uh so i packaged those all up and uh, vacuum sealed them and i got stacks of ground meat now to use for the rest of the year so i mean and they can go in anything you make tacos with it you can throw it and you know you're making a casserole a hot dish anything you normally use hamburger for just you just use that it's perfect it's a great way to to use it and um and it once it's processed like that it doesn't count against your um, possession limit so you don't have to worry about any of that the legalities of that, so that's good. And uh, what was it? oh, I did pluck, I did pluck one speck whole, and we roasted it 
um, this last weekend was very good, uh, very mild. So as I had heard that um, on another podcast, that speck was like one of the favorite birds of this this chef, this wild game chef. So I was like, huh, well, not ever shooting, have shot one before, I don't really know. But so we, um, yeah, so I plucked one, I wanted to try it out, and it is fantastic. I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you know I like pretty much all wild game, but it's super mild. I mean, compared to like an old giant hawker, there's, there is no comparison. I mean, it might as well be talking chicken. I mean, it's so good. It, the hype was real on the, on the speckle bellies for sure. So I would, I would say I would look forward to shooting more of those, but I'm pretty sure that was just a rare event this year. And I think that heavy snowfall that North Dakota got, um, stalled them out and, uh, you know, they kind of got backlogged there, if you will, and, and gave us the opportunity to get some. So that was that was most excellent. Very pumped. Everybody took one or two of those specs for the wall, so that trip got a little more expensive <laughs> right there. Uh, man, it's going to be cool. They're a cool-looking bird, man. Ah, they're so cool. So now we're back home. And uh, to be honest, like, I really poured myself into the bow hunting after that because – I kind of lost the fire a little bit to go goose hunting once we got back to Minnesota because, you know, you're dealing with a, an eight dark, you know, an eight bird limit for darkies for your honkers and cacklers. You can take three specks, which doesn't count towards your dark limit, and then 50 snows, which that's just ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> almost glad we didn't limit out on snows. Seven guys, that would have just been obscene. There would have been, so, oh, my God, there would have been so many birds. We would have ran out of trailer space. Um and it was already a ton of birds. So it's like now with that, you come back to Minnesota and your honker limit is three. <laughs> like, I want to really get up early, set all those decoys for three birds. Like, ugh, after what we just experienced, kind of ruined it. Um, but it crept back in. Like, I, I'm I'm ready to do it again. In fact, we're going duck hunting this weekend. I think that's the, the plan is had some divers because it is uh, – well below average temperatures right now. We're definitely going to have early ice, and a lot of the ponds are freezing up. In fact, this is like this is when you know it's almost over for at least most of your waters. Is and I was in the deer stand this morning. The swans were migrating, and when they are the last to leave, they leave body. The only time they leave body of water when it freezes out, and at half the time you see them standing on ice anyways. So, yeah, once you see them migrating, that's the beginning of the end right there for the old duck season here in, in Minnesota, for the most part. I mean, we got um, rivers, and, you know, there's going to be honkers and mallards that use those late, and then, you know, you still got your fields. As long as there's water and there's open fields, and we don't have any snow, at least not in my neck of the woods, and even where they do have snow, it's not a lot, so it's not going to hinder field hunting at all. Um so we still got that to look forward to. But now's the time to get out and, and hopefully smash some divers. That's our plan for this weekend. Um, one of the job sites I was working at this week had uh, quite a few honkers around it. It's like every day I'd see them, and as I'd go to the lake, and they're cupped out, and sometimes they'd maple leaf down. It's like, yeah, I th- I'm starting to get the itch again. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, watching Joe Heinz's snaps, uh, He's hunting every day and seeing those birds come in and listen to the calling and watching the birds crumple up when they shoot. It's like, yeah, 
Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready again. <laughs> it's back. I'm ready for for a three bird limit. Uh, so that's that's the plan. So we'll see what's what happens. Keep you guys uh, updated on that if you haven't done so. Um, obviously, follow me on Facebook, Full Scale Outdoors. I got a couple. Uh, I got a little bit of room in my personal account. You know, Dale Luganville, and um, there's an outdoor group, Full Scale Outdoors group. You can be a part of that. Share whatever you want, pictures. Hunts, if you have an outdoor business, feel free to post up in there. And then uh, Snapchat, I've been using a lot lately. Um, so find me on Snapchat, and uh, you can keep tabs of all that's going on there. Oh, yeah, I keep forgetting. And I'm on the Go Wild app. And uh, I don't get paid to say this. I'm not a pro staffer. I'm in no way, shape, or form my, um, associated with Go Wild. But it's just, it's, a, it's a fun app, the way it, the way it works. It's a great place to post up pictures and read other things. You're not going to get any hate from, you know, uh, it's a bloody deer pick or it's a, you know, this and why do you shoot those pretty things? And none of the normal bullshit you you can get from, you know, Instagram or Facebook or anything like that. So it's a it's a nice safe space for hunters. It's really nice, <laughs> but it's uh it's cool. I like it. I like the way it's set up. And they got this cool thing and like you can log your time in. And then that like builds your personal hunter score, and you can log trophies, and you get so many points for the trophies. It's kind of cool. Um, see, and, they, and they're constantly expanding it, and they're constantly growing it, and adding and new and new stuff. So if you haven't done that, go check out the Go Wild app. And uh, I don't know, I'd say tell them I sent you, but it doesn't do me any good. So whatever. And I don't think there's anybody there to even hear you say, "Hey, Full Scale Outdoors sent me." <laughs> so whatever, just go do it. Find Full Scale Outdoors on there, and uh, you can follow me there too. Um, do all the things. So, anyways, there. It's my shameless plug for myself. Uh, quick shout out to Doug Glimmerine with the SmackDown Outdoors podcast. Uh, I was one of the few guests that uh, were invited for his one year anniversary for the SmackDown Outdoors podcast. So, good job, Doug. Keep up the great work. Thanks for having me out there. Uh, I love this little Minnesota network that we're building. And uh, now there's a new one out there. Everybody wants you to go check out The Lone Angler. And um, that one's really good. Uh, he's based in Minnesota here, too. I really enjoy his. And, uh, yeah, so we kind of got this little, like, three-way podcasting network going, and, and we're all on board with promoting each other. And uh, it's just a really cool thing. I, I love it how we're not competitors. Like, we're just – there's room at the table for for all of us, and uh, uh, it's just really neat. So. Make sure you guys go check them out on all the social media platforms too. So SmackDown Outdoors Podcast and The Lone Angler. Go check them out. It's pretty awesome. All right, moving on. What should we talk about? Oh, one of the things that we talked about on the um, – there, let's – God, I wish that was a beer, but it's actually a Coke because i got to take off here in a little bit. But I'm getting parched. Um, brought up on the SmackDown Outdoors Podcast, which for the for the most part was, was – pretty much a shit show in a fun way like i had a great time it was a lot of laughs were had um it was pretty fun but we did get serious for uh, at least a little bit and we started talking about cwd now it's highly controversial um and it's starting to kind of take on this 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 is my perspective perspective on it and it's probably not a very popular perspective but it's starting to kind of take on a life of its own. Like it's starting to get fanatical for lack of a better term. I mean, that might be the right term. 
it's almost becoming a religion for some of these people that have taken it up as their cause, as as their biggest conservation threat that they see it. And I'm just really struggling to buy into it that much. Like I'm not totally dismissing it that it that it's it's not an issue, you know. It's kind of like modern day politics. And it doesn't have to all be all the way over here or all the way over here. Like there is middle ground. I mean, that's where I pretty much live when it comes to politics and stuff like this. I try to keep a cool head. I try to look at it logically and form an opinion with that. And God, I just see some people like that just like this is just the end of the world if we don't stop this the spread of CWD. And they brought up some good points that I, I hadn't even thought of and I'm gonna add to that I've been milling about in my head and I'm gonna add to um my opinion. I just don't think that the the amount of money that we're spending and some of the things that we're doing is really going to help. I just don't see how you're going to stop the spread of it. And and I get the argument of slowing it down. You know, let's slow it down. Let's slow the spread down enough until we find a cure for this. Well, you might not ever find a cure for this. One of the weird things about um, CWD, in case you don't know, I'm just going to have this at the ready. I want to I want to read this. So the disease, it's a, it's listed in, it's a prion disease. Like, what is a prion? And so I'm going to read this. This is right off the CDC. Prion diseases are transmissible spongiform encephalopathies, or TSEs, are a family of rare progressive neurodegenerative disorders that affect both humans and animals. They are distinguished by long incubation periods, characteristic spongiform changes associated with neurological loss and a failure to induce inflammatory response. The causative agents of TSEs are believed to be prions. The term prions refers to an abnormal pathogenic agents that are transmissible and are able to induce abnormal folding of specific normal cellular proteins called prion proteins that are found most abundantly in the brain. The functions of these normal prion proteins are still not completely understood. The abnormal folding of the prion proteins leads to brain damage and the characteristic signs and symptoms of the disease. Prion diseases are usually rapidly progressive and always fatal. So, yes, that sounds very scary. However, the big fear-monger thing that, that seems to be taking hold in this running rampant is this threat that it might transmit to humans. Only one time that I'm aware of in laboratory settings were they able to transmit CWD to a primate. And the way they did that was injecting massive amounts of these prions directly into the brains of these primates. So not eating the meat. Nothing that anybody would normally do. As far as I know, there is no pastime out there. I don't know that there's any prion junkies that are shooting up deer brain material directly into their brains. Um, I don't think that's a thing. It'd be really weird if it was. So as far as the threat is concerned, I'm just not, I'm not buying it. And they're like, well, you're going to crash the deer herd. Well, that brings up a point for me. It's like, okay, I get, I get what you're saying. It's a legitimate concern, but at least here in Minnesota, what we have done, we found a County that has 
a CWB, CWD outbreak, they do extra hunts. They liberalize the hunting. They just want to wipe them off. They want to wipe them out. Well, weren't we just worried that that's what the disease was going to do? And But we're just going to do it first? You know, and I know what they're trying to do is they're trying to, like, confine it to that one area. But that that brings up an entirely different problem. These prions, I heard that they last in the soil or whatever for, like, forever. And I found this article in Scientific American. It's called Prions Are Forever. The lethal proteins are in the hard-to-kill Hall of Fame and may be more common than we realize. just going to read this real quick. 55-year-old Dutch woman's brain just didn't seem to be working right. Her memory and concentration were slipping. She began suffering headaches and hearing and seeing things that weren't there. I'm going to interject here real quick. This isn't CWD. This is a different prion. But the prion, the protein, how it reacts is applicable here to this story. So just keep that in mind when talking about this. This isn't this isn't a case of human CWD. This is just a prion. But this is how tough them some bitches are. So she had trouble speaking, then became mute. She developed signs of Parkinson's disease. Within 27 months of her symptoms appearing, she was dead. But Parkinson's disease was not what had killed her. Scientists were curious about what had. Instead of freezing her brain, they immersed it in a chemical preservative formaldehyde, which cross-links the amino acids in proteins, fixing them. For three long days, they sliced it thinly and placed the pieces in paraffin. After examining the tissues under a microscope and forming an opinion, they filed the slides away and they sat for several years at room temperature. A second set of scientists acquired the slides and extracted some of the preserved dried tissue. They diluted it and injected the solution into mice, and to their surprise, four of the eight mice so injected developed signs of the woman's disease. Despite a brutal processing regimen that should have been sufficient to kill just about any pathogen. The most recent example of credibility, sustaining biochemical endurance, caught uh, my eye a few weeks ago. It, It underscores the awesome power of prions. A prion is an illness-induced misfolded protein. We covered that earlier. Depending on how it is misfolded, the prion may also be infectious, and they often are. Oddly enough, all known prion diseases but one are caused by changes to a single mammalian protein, the somewhat confusingly named prion protein. This protein, in its healthy, properly folded state, is, if not trivial, relatively unimportant. Its complete loss is certainly not catastrophic. Yet, in a highly unfortunate accident of nature, this protein stirs up an extraordinary amount of trouble when broken. When mutated or misfolded in one of 34 known ways, it becomes a prion proper. When a prion bumps into a normal prion protein, the protein's shape metamorphoses to the diseased form, like a zombie. Now it, too, can create more prions. So what's happening, if if I may interject some bro science here, it's... Um, it just has to come in contact with another protein. And for whatever reason, it infects that protein. You know, like the said, like, you know, just being bitten by a, a, a zombie turns you into a zombie. But we'll continue. This, at least, is the prion hypothesis as promulgated. Wow, there's a word I don't know. By biologist Stanley Prusiner. Sorry if I messed up your name, dude. Stanley, you sound like a cool dude, who won the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 1997 for the idea. The ensuing chain reaction drives the relentless conversion of normal prion proteins into prions. In many prion diseases, the shape of the prion also drives them to polymerize into fibers called amyloid. 
erroneously and confusingly named after starches in the 19th century because of the blah, 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 you know, nobody cares. Amyloid fibers accumulate outside cells where they may punch holes in the brain tissues that cause a Swiss cheese-like situation, which certainly happens with or without their help. Or they may be toxic in some other ways that generate the neural degeneration of brain atrophy seen in the prion diseases. In the case of variant in Crutchfield-Jacobs disease, seen at the top of the post, blah, 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 the, the fibrils of the amyloid plaques radiate from the central point, giving them appearance of tribbles. I don't know what any of that shit means. I'm assuming you don't either. Try to keep up. <laughs> Try to stay with me. Stay with me here. Pro- prion proteins, for reasons again unknown, has remarkably similar structure among mammals, which provides it a passport to interspecies mischief. Famous prion diseases include mad cow disease, or bovine spongiform, encephalopathy. Contracted when cattle were given feed laced with sheep that had died of prion disease, um, scrapie. Note that the cattle are vegetarians. Kuru infamously, that shouldn't have been that hard to say, infamously contracted by people who ritually consuming the brains of dead relatives in Papua New Guinea. I think that's... Just don't eat people's brains, and, and you're probably good. And a variant of Crutchfield's Jacobs disease uh, acquired by people who ate mad cow-infected beef. So that's where the main deer scare with CWD is coming in. Prion diseases are universally dreaded because they are uniformly lethal. Once symptoms appear, they cause a relatively swift full-system shutdown that may include, in addition to the symptoms the Dutch woman experienced, uncontrolled drooling, uncoordinated movement, convulsions. It's not a nice way to go, and you will go. So, um, oh, there's more. I thought that was the end of it, but okay. We're going to, no need to keep going with that. Um, they're really hard to kill. They stick around for forever. Uh, well, here, let's go into this one. Why are prions so hard to kill? Even if kill is the right word for an evil protein. No one knows for sure. One expert hypothesized that because our decontamination methods have always targeted DNA and RNA, molecules possessed by all actual living creatures, they are by design not effective on proteins. The structure of proteins themselves may also lend to the supernatural survival powers. Just 3% of prion proteins is composed of beta sheets, a common fold, but 34, 40, sorry, 43 of the prions is so folded. Such a substantial percentage makes the protein highly resistant to degradation. The reasoning goes. The herding of prions into chain-linked amyloid fiber may also protect from the assault. Whatever the cause, prions are, to put it mildly, good survivors, and that may be why neurological equipment can remain infectious even after it undergoes standard sterilization. So um, we're going to abandon that. So going back to my point, um, they're in the ground for forever. So you go down there and you wipe out all these deer in this um, area of the country, and... I mean, are you, is the state grabbing these? Do they have to be processed in a certain way? And, you know, when I talk about having these dumps and then leaving the carcass where it's at, but, like, that, that's going to slow the spread maybe? I mean, it's all just hypothetical, and we still can't get it to make the jump to people or to any primate without doing something insane like injecting it directly into the brain. So, I mean, unless you're trying to cure it from for deer, which doesn't really seem to be the case because you can't, it's not a bacteria. It's not a virus. There is no real cure. It's just this abnormal protein that bumps into other proteins and makes them abnormal too. It's one of the things I've been seeing is like on my own property, 
you know, I got my trail cameras up and there's a scrape and a, and a, uh, a licking branch that forms every year. Same tree gets it. It's right on this ridge. All the deer use it. I don't set it up. It's there every year, but I do put a camera in front of it. And every deer that comes by there licks that thing. Bucks all pee on it. I've even seen does pee on it. Um, they're all marking it. They're all communicating with all the other deer. And if these prions are in the fluids, you know, and that's kind of what they're saying. Like a lot of times they, they say it's transmitted from domesticated deer, deer farms, through nose-to-nose contact through the fences with wild deer, and that's kind of how it's spreading into the wild. So if that is the case, I mean, not not even counting the normal deer-to-deer nose touching that just goes on everywhere but on my little property here and i have that one branch and they're all hitting it that's just here that's just on my seven acres well what about all of the other acres there's there's no way there's just no way that you're gonna stop this and i don't even think you can really even slow it it's it's out of the box now i mean what happens to just letting nature take nature take its course. I mean, if it's always fatal, and it does take a few years, you know. So, I mean, yeah, I guess if a one-year-old deer or buck gets contracts it, and it takes three years from to die, you know, he's only going to live to be four. Probably, obviously, doesn't not going to reach his potential as far as antler growth is concerned. And during that time, he's probably passed on some of his genes. But if an older deer contracts it at five well he's probably not going to live to be eight anyways i mean so where's the risk involved in that and then if you bring in the darwinism aspect of it i'm sure there are some deer that are just for whatever reason genetically um resistant to it and those ones are going to live nice long lives uh even in the presence of CWD. So then therefore they're going to breed more than those that would be susceptible to it. And in the long run, as nature would do, it's going to, it's going to right the ship. It's going to even it out. The ones susceptible are going to die out eventually. And the ones that aren't obviously aren't. So I guess just my opinion, and I'm not saying let's, let's halt, you know, all research. Let's not put any money into this. That's not what I'm saying at all. So if those listening to this that have almost ripped off their steering wheels or driving in their in their vehicle up to deer camp and, and they're cursing my name, dial her back there. Just I'm not I'm not saying let's abandon all of it. One hundred percent we should be spending money and researching this. Maybe there is an actual cure out there. That would be fantastic. Um, and you're only gonna find that with research. So I'm all about the research Um, but I think we just almost as like individuals need to calm down just a little bit don't turn it into a religion where it's like this is the worst thing ever and if you don't agree with how I that it's as serious as I'm saying it is then you're an idiot and you're what's wrong with deer hunting today and because to be brutally honest we don't have the room in the hunting community to be bashing each other. And we, and I hear this a lot, you know, like the small deer shaming and, you know, and hunters are some of the worst for getting on people about what they hunt, how they hunt it. And with numbers overall declining, 
we just can't afford it. We can't afford you if you want to get fanatical about anything, be fanatical about that of preserving the heritage of hunting in general. Um cuz it's it's slowly dying on the vine. And I gave a shout out um during the Smackdown Outdoors podcast. I'm going to give another shout out here to to the ladies out there because while it is in decline everywhere else, it's growing among females and I'll take all the help we can get from any source possible. And so, like, the Women Anglers of Minnesota, they're very active in promoting the outdoors um, with women and with their children, both boys and girls. So that's huge. And so I just want to say thanks to all the hardworking ladies out there and what you are doing uh, for the outdoors. It's super, super important and uh, very thankful, very thankful that you guys are out there, gals are out there. I say guys in a very all-encompassing manner, not to offend anybody, sorry. Um, so, yeah, there it is. There's my um, there's my take on CWD. It might be all bullshit. Um, but like most things, you know, I feel like somewhere in the middle is, is closer to the truth. And uh, let's just let's support each other and just keep trying to find a solution to it without – being assholes to each other there there it is there's that what else can i talk about here before i i gotta get going um oh so with this cold snap and those snow geese migrating or uh, swans rather um there's ice there's ice right now probably not walkable ice here but i guarantee a few hours north of here somebody's fishing right now somebody's ice fishing right now now and as we were talking about what we're going to do this weekend for hunting i was like the biggest the bigger question is where are we ice fishing next weekend <laughs> so it's time i'm not even ready i gotta get i gotta get i gotta buy line this week i'm gonna spool up my rods um probably buy another rod um shit i got a ton of stuff i got i gotta get all my stuff together um this doesn't usually happen until after thanksgiving so we're we're easily two weeks early for ice fishing here in Minnesota, and uh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. Um, well, it's happening. It's happening right now. Like I said, uh, they, they I saw a report yesterday. They have three inches quite a ways out on uh, Upper Red Lake, uh, but the resorts aren't letting anybody out yet. Um, I'll walk on three inches. No problem, but you got to be careful. You also have to know what you're doing. I don't want to like willy nilly say, "Yeah, two inches is safe." Go on out there, boys. You know, obviously it matters if you're 350 pounds versus 150 pounds. I'm pretty much 200, um, but I'll go on two inches. But I always go with the spud bar. I walk very slowly and I check. I basically use my spud bar like a walking stick. And before I take a step, I'm hitting that ice in front of me. And if it punches through, I back up. And I'll try to find another route. And if there is no other route, then I just don't go fishing. I'll go somewhere else. So it's not like I hear a lot of people say there's no fish worth dying for. And that is true. Um, But there is something also to be said for being confident in your abilities. And and reading ice, I'm fairly confident in my abilities. Pretty confident in them, actually. Um and I would never just endanger myself or people I'm with um, for a thrill or, you know, like I don't need to be the first guy out there. Um, it's, there's nothing to do with that. I just know what's good ice and what's not. And I know that the old adage is no ice is ever safe, and there's some truth to that. Um, but that's why you always have to be aware and just don't take it for granted that it's 
safe ice. So with that said, I am very much looking forward to getting out there and doing some ice fishing. And I can favorably talk about walleyes again because I like ice fishing for walleyes. I just don't like dragging lindy rigs for walleyes. So boring. Uh, so that's going to happen. Um, I think Malax is probably quite a ways away from icing up yet. Though the wind, if anything, usually keeps that lake open quite a bit later than, than anywhere else. Um, but I'm looking forward to, to hitting that lake again because, man, the first half of the, the winter season – that lake is fire, and they just released the um, the rules for the winter fishing, and uh, it's the same as last year. You can keep one fish uh, between 21 and 23 inches, one over 28. So, um, if you're, you want to go ice fishing, you want to catch walleyes, and you want walleyes for the pan, don't go to Mille Lacs. That's that's not that's not the place to go. There's plenty of lakes in the state that are loaded with walleyes where you can have your full your full Minnesota limit of walleyes. Um, go there if you're meat hunting. But if you want to go out for a great time, catch a bunch of fish with a legit shot at a trophy, like super legit chance at a trophy, um, you're going to get that in Mille Lacs. And there's big northerns in there too. I caught my 43-inch um, northern out of there last year. I, like two days later, I caught a 36 in the same spot. So I am jonesing to get to hit that spot again. And uh, I might actually target those big northerns this year. Um, I might even throw on a little bit bigger, bigger minnows this time around, get some sucker minnows down there and just see, um, just see, I mean, I, I knew that they kind of hung out on this reef, but, um, I don't think it's an accident that I got two real good ones in, in two days. So I'm going to, I think I'm going to target them a little bit more just to see what happens. Um, so I'll keep you posted on that. And if anybody wants to get out, I do offer guided trips. Um, get a hold of me, 612-209-5438. You can also send me a message on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, all that stuff. And uh, let's schedule some trips. I'll get you out and uh, have a lot of fun. And it can be walleyes if you want on Mille Lacs for sure. We do that. Um, but also uh, panfish. You know, let's let's go Swiss cheese some lakes. And uh, I'll show you how to target these fish during the daytime. We're going to catch crappies during the day. It's not going to be over the basin. I'm going to tell you how to, to break down a lake, and uh, you'll be able to go um, spend a day with me. You're going to be able to go out. Uh, hopefully, you'll be able to go out and uh, find your own fish from then on. It'll change the way you look at ice fishing. When you're in the middle of winter and you're fishing in three feet of water, you'll be like, yeah, I never would have done this. <laughs> so um, that does happen. And uh, excited to uh, jump back into the Minnesota Made Outdoors Tournament Fishing League. That's going to be a great time. Uh, hopefully, Joel and I can uh, have a good showing in this year and be really awesome if we could actually take a plaque. So that would be sweet. I got to get the champs on. Jack and Jeremy, I got that reminds me. I got to send them a message. We can hopefully get them on before the season starts. Maybe I can pry some information out of their brains. <laughs> Probably not, but you never know. They're cool dudes anyways, and uh, we'll just get to talk about ice fishing, so it'll be sweet. Ah, what else do I have? I think that's pretty much it. Let's keep this nice, short, and sweet. Um, I got a truck to load up, throw a bunch of decoys in there, try to go smash some divers this week, and, uh, yeah, good luck to all the uh, gun hunters out there. Be safe. Wear your orange. Uh, if it looks like a horse, it probably is a horse. Don't shoot it. Don't shoot each other. Be uh, super safe out there, guys and gals. 
And uh, good luck. Shoot some big ones. Shoot some medium-sized ones. Shoot some little ones. I don't care. Shoot them up. Buy those licenses. Because that's what's important. Eat some good, fresh, free-range protein, baby. Woo! Hopefully free of prions. Just kidding. <laughs> well, not kidding, but you know what I mean. So, anyways, all right, with that, uh, I'm going to sign off. And I'm going to leave you with this. I'm going to read that Theodore Roosevelt quote one more time because it's just one of the best things I've ever heard. Uh, and he was just such a wise man. So here it is. Good luck out there, everybody. Thanks for tuning into the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Hey everybody, huge thanks to everybody who has taken the time to uh, download and subscribe to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast, to rate us, to review us. Um, you're doing great things and we are growing every day and I really appreciate it. Another way we're growing is we have joined the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. So what that means is people can now find us and listen to us on the Waypoint app, on your Apple TV, on Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, smart TVs, uh, hell, even gaming systems. So um, if you haven't downloaded the Waypoint app, do it now. You're going to thank me. It has over 2,500 of the best hunting and fishing shows and short films out there. This is one of the best apps you're going to find. Um, so I just would like to say thank you again for those that have already subscribed. Let's share it. Let's keep this thing going. And uh, I am proud to say that the Full Scale Outdoors podcast is now part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. So thank you very much.